be reading Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salt again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underneath foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may be good that your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. Boy, there were a lot of lights shining. That was good. He got me, though, because I always wait till the song before to put my microphone on. And I'm wrestling with the microphone. He said, make sure. I thought, I'm right down here front. And there's nowhere to hide. My, my light wasn't showing. Um, it, this is such an encouraging. I hope, I hope this will be an encouraging theme. We started last week talking about some of the qualities, uh, some of the characteristics of light. Uh, I don't know if you remember everything that we talked about last week, but light illuminates. I know that's obvious, but but light illuminates. It dispels darkness. We said light exposes. It it reveals the, the wicked deeds that are done in dark places. Light serves as a guide. Uh, it leads or directs pe- people safely through the dark. It helps them get to where they need to be, which ultimately we want to lead them back to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Light conquers. Light conquers darkness. I know sometimes we feel like the darkness of the world is overpowering, but darkness cannot overpower light. Light always conquers darkness. I think most of us have been in a situation in a very dark place. And sometimes it's amazing, even a very small light, how much that light conquers darkness and overpowers darkness. This week, instead of spending so much time talking about some of those attributes or characteristics of light, I want you to focus on just a part of the phrase of what Jesus says here, Matthew five, fourteen through 16. Let's read it again uh, this evening, starting there in verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory uh, to your Father who is in heaven. I want to draw your attention to uh, verse 16, where he said there is uh, that you should let your light shine before others, depending on your translation of the Bible that you're reading from. It might say, let your light shine before men. And so, you know, that, that translation, before others or before men. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to hide our religion. I don't know why you'd want to do that. But, but it's obvious from what he says here that he, he doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to hide our faith. He doesn't want us to be in a secret relationship with Him. 
If you're in a relationship with Jesus, He wants you to share that with others. Our Lord doesn't want us to hide the righteous example of our good lives. He wants us to let our light shine before other people that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I think sometimes we can become confused because there are passages, and we're even going to look at some of them tonight, where it seems like Jesus is condemning the practice of doing certain religious things just so that other people can see what we're doing. I mean, some well-known passages where Jesus condemns doing works of righteousness in order to be seen by men. You'll, you'll see that phrase over and over again tonight as we study together. There are all kinds of things that religious people do that, that really should be for the Lord, but they do those things in order to be seen by men. And yet, as we do that, Our good works are also supposed to, I mean, even though we're not supposed to do it for that motive, people are going to see how we live. I don't know if our, our PowerPoint is working. Phil, can you, can you scroll through? Look, go, go one or two more here, one more. There's a tremendous difference between religion for show and religion that shows. And, and that's really what we're going to try to talk about tonight. Is trying to understand the difference between those two things. We'll see as we study God's Word and as we listen to Jesus that, that Jesus really does condemn religion that is, that is just for show. If you open your Bibles to Matthew 23, some, some of these initial thoughts are going to come uh, from ver- verses 5 through 7. We'll draw... Uh, several observations from that passage. And here Jesus is is being critical of some of the religious people uh, of His day and age. And He said, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and uh, greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. His condemnation of these people is is pretty harsh. One translation of Matthew 23 and verse 5 says that everything they did was done for men to see. Everything that they did was motivated by the desire to, to be seen and ultimately to be praised by men. This statement, they made their phylacteries wide. Phylacteries were small uh, leather boxes. Uh, The Jewish leaders would place, well, the Jewish people would place portions of Scripture in those boxes. They wore the boxes on their foreheads or on their their arm in literal obedience to a command. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 8. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and, and bind them on your foreheads. Listen. This, this was not for other people to see. This was to be a reminder to the individuals. Keep God's Word in front of you. 
keep the will of God ever before you so that you won't forget it. So that you'll remember to live by the word that he's given you. And, and they made these, these boxes, these phylacteries, they made them wide. They made their tassels long. This is Numbers 15, 37 through 39. The Lord said to Moses, speak uh, to the Israelites, say to them throughout the generations to come, you're to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You'll have these tassels to look at. So you'll remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Again, you'll notice that the tassels were meant to be something that the one wearing them, the one wearing them could look at. But they became something for others to see. It was a very showy thing to do. Phil, if you'd advance that, we're going to go back to Matthew 23, and you'll notice some other things that Jesus said about them. They loved the place of honor at feasts. They loved the best seats in the synagogue. When they were in public, they liked, they liked to be greeted loudly in the marketplace, and they really liked when people called them by a religious title. When they called them rabbi, or master, or teacher. If you want to open your Bibles or turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, Jesus goes into greater detail of some, some of the specific acts of worship or devotion. And he's very clear about what motivated some of the people as they were praying, as they were giving, as they were fasting. We're going to start here in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 1, and we're just going to work our way uh, through a lot of what Jesus said in the early part of this chapter. As he talked about the way these people were giving, he said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You you notice that they did what they did to be seen by men and ultimately, and, and it says it right there, so that they could be praised by men. They, they wanted to be recognized for how much they were giving. And it wasn't that they wanted to be recognized by God. That they wanted to be recognized by their peers. And praised by their peers for being such a generous and sacrificial giver. Jesus makes a transition in verse 5 and he starts talking about the prayer life of some of these people. And he said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your home and shut the door and, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There, there are some, some things we need to understand, and there's a privilege, and I think the honor to, to lead others in prayer. 
And when we have the opportunity to do that, we need to remember that we're talking to God for other people. And we're not, we're not trying to impress other people with our ability to, to talk to God. I, I understand that that seems like a strange thing to do, and yet there, there were people who wanted to have a, some kind of a public platform where, where they could pray to be seen by men. And you, you end up missing the fact that you've got private access to God. You can go to God and you can talk to God. And instead, they started thinking about all the people that would see them and hear them and how impressed they're going to be with my relationship with God. Jesus condemned that. If you skip down then to verses 16 through 18, we're not going to look at the model prayer that uh, Jesus gives there, but but we're looking really at motives for some of the the religious devotion uh, that he's describing in this passage. In verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Uh, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. I don't understand exactly what they were doing with their face, you know, but but basically they, they didn't look great. And somebody said, you mean, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay, but I, you know, I, I've been fasting. They want, they want somehow to draw attention so that no matter what they do, they want other people to, to know about it. Everything they do is done for men to see. Jesus is not impressed with religious showmanship. And he condemns the practice of religion that is just for show. But, but notice... He also condemned religion that doesn't show. That's, that's the distinction. I know it's, I know it's difficult. But there, there is a motive that, that everything you do, you do because you want people to see it. You want them to be impressed. You, you want them to praise you and speak highly of you. And, and you're supposed to carefully avoid a religion that is, that is just for show. But at the same time, Jesus doesn't have any praise for faith that that other people can't see, for a Christianity that is always under the radar. So we go back to Matthew 5. Jesus said people don't light a lamp. You don't do this. And we just, and we just, we sang it tonight. We even acted it out. Are we gonna, are we gonna hide it under a bushel? Well, no. We're gonna let it shine. Jesus talks about a a city on a hill. You, You, there's no way to camouflage that. You can't hide that. A city that, that is built on a hill is, 
It's elevated, it's, it's exalted, it's up there where everybody can see it. And, and he's saying our faith, the practice of our faith, ought to be like that. We're not hiding people. Christianity is something that is meant to be seen. There's no such thing as a secret service Christian. I don't know where I read this, but it's always stuck with me. Either the secrecy destroys the discipleship, or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. A man's Christianity should be perfectly visible to all men. There there are times that I've had a conversation that goes something like this. Someone a little little bit excited. They say, you know, I worked with this person uh, for 10, 20, I mean, 25 years. We've been going to the same office. And we've been working in the same place for 25 years. And Tim, you're not going to believe this. I, I just found out that guy's a Christian. I've been working with him for 25 years. And, and we were so excited. We found out that we're both members of the Church of Christ. And I want to ask you how something like that. How is that possible? How can two faithful Christians work in the same place for decades? And neither one is distinctive enough in their lifestyle or in their conversation to figure out that they are brothers in the Lord. I think what I just described is what Jesus would call uh, basket Christianity. You're putting your light under a basket. You go to work and you're not letting it shine. And Jesus doesn't want us to hide our light in the workplace. He wants us to live our faith openly. He wants us to shine for Him. Here's here's something that I believe happens that we need to carefully avoid. I think sometimes this church building is the bushel basket under which many of us are hiding the light of Jesus. This, this place where we are tonight is, is the very bushel basket that Jesus is talking about. Christianity that stops at the door of this church building is not very effective. The, the light of our Christian influence is, is needed. It needs to be Visible in the ordinary activities of everyday life. Our Christianity should be seen in the way that we treat our neighbors, the people that we work with. It should be visible in in the way that we uh, play a game. Some high school athletes who are Christians. The way we drive a car. The way we order a meal at a restaurant. I just read a post today on Facebook and one of a, you know, preaching friends that, that talked about how we behave when we go eat on Sunday. And I don't know. I mean, I, there's no, they didn't do a survey. I don't know if there's any real science to this, but there are a lot of people that responded to that post saying, you know, I, I used to have to work 
at a restaurant on Sunday. And one of the women that responded to that post said, the folks who came out to drink beer on Saturday night were a lot nicer to me and a lot more generous than the folks that came in all dressed up on Sunday. I can't prove that. But what I'm saying is, the way we treat people when we're at a restaurant says something important about the way we follow Jesus. A Christian should be as much of a Christian uh, at the office, at the grocery store, in a classroom, at the golf course. We should be as much of a Christian in our conduct and in our conversation throughout the week as we are when we are gathered here together on Sunday. Because Jesus didn't say, you're the light of the church. He said, you're the light of the world. And that means if a man is truly living for Jesus, his his Christianity should be evident to all. When Jeff did the scripture reading, he included verse 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Unsalty salt has no value. And I think what Jesus is saying is light that is hidden and refuses to shine, doesn't have any value either. It's not fulfilling its intended purpose. I think we could probably sum up the lesson with this this next statement, that Christianity is not just for show, but if you are a Christian, it ought to show. As we conclude, I want you to see these two passages together in John chapter 9, in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And I think when he commanded us to be the light of the world, he was demanding nothing less than that we should be like him. If He is the light of the world and He is calling us to be the light of the world, He is inviting us into a deeper and greater Christ-likeness. It's easy to stand in front of people like you and say that. What I have to ask myself, and I hope you'll ask yourself, am I like Jesus? Can other people see Jesus in me? On Thursday, I, I drove to Perryton, Texas to, to do a series of lessons about decision making. and I, I spoke Thursday night, Friday night, and, and Saturday, and I drove home, and I was tired. But I want to tell you, you do something like that, and it's easy to go far away from where you live and to be on 
you understand what I mean. To, to be on your best behavior in front of people who don't know you and they don't live with you. And to put your best foot forward on Thursday and Friday and, and Saturday and then, and then come home and realize that you've given the best of your energy. You've poured yourself out to others. And then to be something different at home. I'm telling you, it's easy to do that. It's not right to do that. It's easy to rally and kind of put our best foot forward, go on a mission trip, go to a foreign country, go to another state, have a great week, interact with other Christians in a positive way, Share our faith. And then come home and not do any of those things. I think it's easy to do that. It's not right to do that. The way you treat your spouse and your, and your children, I think your home is one of the most important places for you to shine like a star in the universe. That's convicting. If I am not genuine in the practice of my faith in, in my home, then I think there's a serious question about whether or not my faith is genuine. And then it, it just radiates out from there to our neighborhood, to our school, to our workplace, to the random people that we interact with and sometimes uh, in uncomfortable or difficult situations where they give us every reason to be impatient or unkind. Sometimes those interactions are the testing ground or the proving ground that we are different, that we are like Jesus. Sometimes we sing, I can't remember if it's can or does, but you know, can, can the beauty of Jesus be seen in me? I, I don't think you should ever stop asking that question about your personal faith. I think that's, Jesus is the, the healthiest measurement. It is, it is easy for us to pick out someone who is falling short and compare our strengths with somebody else's weakness and maybe have a false sense of our maturity. We could pray uh, like the, the Pharisee, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. A much healthier practice is to constantly examine ourselves in the light of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how much I, I admire people like Kay Parrott that came forward this morning. How much courage and humility it takes to say that there are things in my life that I'm wrestling with and I want help. 
Somebody said to me afterwards, I think, I think we could all say that. And I'm not, I think what he said is right, and I understand what he said, but I want to make a point about that. He said, I think we could all say that, but we didn't all say that this morning. She said that. I always, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. There's a call comes ringing, cross the restless way. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good point at which we can say, if you want to come to the Lord tonight, if you want to be baptized into Christ, or you want to come home to Him, or you just need help because you want to be a person who shines like the stars in the universe, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.